This is More Than Before with Nathan Cook. Hey everyone, welcome back. You are in for a real treat today. My guest, he is the author of the B2B Sales Secrets. He is the host of the Relentless Goal Achievers podcast. He has turned up the dial on sales for his clients, really helping them to achieve greatness in sales. He's taken companies from $4 million to $12 million in three years. He is a phenomenal coach. And what I love about him is he is bold. He is unapologetic. He is so tuned in on identity and understanding who you are and how you should be showing up on a daily basis. He is a high caliber individual. You're going to get to see that, but he has two beautiful boys that he is teaching to be entrepreneurs in this world, which we could all use uh, more of those. So Eric Konovalov, welcome to the program, brother. How are you doing today? Thanks, Nathan. Man, I'm doing great. It's been a while since we chatted. Thanks for having <laughs> it me. Only, it but, only takes me like 15 tries to get your name right. Like, Dude, yeah. that's uh, that's way less than it took me to get it right. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like you had maybe a little bit more practice. But, you know, you have a really interesting story uh, for where you grew up. You know, the first 10 years of your life, you actually weren't here in the States, which I think is really fascinating because it gives you a really clear picture of maybe even some stuff that's going on currently in the world of, of ideologies that are being taught out there of, you know, a lot of, um, uh, you know, group think of people, Oh, you should all think the same thing. And so you come from this really interesting background that I'm curious about what life was like growing up. Um, you, you were actually raised uh, in communism, correct? Yeah. Former USSR. Uh, the country's Azerbaijan now, but back in, uh, I was born in 1980, in the 80s and, you know, beginning of 90s, it was owned by, it was a part of, you know, Russia, former Soviet Union. And so, yeah, that's how I grew up, man. It was, uh, <laughs> it was not as fun as it is here in America, I'll tell you that. Well, I think even even just in terms of mindset, I mean, do you remember those times of like what what was life like with your siblings? I mean, uh, you you had quite a few sisters, if I recall. Um, and so, you know, growing up with a lot of siblings, but not only that, but kind of in kind of this pressured chamber of you need to be this, and it was kind of almost a structure of trying to make everyone exactly the same, right? Um, what what was that like for you growing up? What was childhood like for you? Yeah, so my sisters, so I have one sister. Then I have two stepsisters and I have two half-sisters. But I grew up with one sister and then my mom got married later and moved to America. That's the blended family. But um, mm. most of my life, it was just one sister. Uh, we grew up in a little apartment, two-bedroom apartment. My sister and I shared a room. My mom had a room and it was like a little kitchen. In school, they taught you to be that that it meant something to be a part of communism. Like you had to, I don't even remember the little pledge, but, uh, you know, first through whatever grade, you had a little star with Lenin on it that said, you know, you're, you are a person of the party. And, you know, they started indoctrinating you from early, early ages. And you know what, like Rocky Four. Rocky didn't win in Russia, man. Like they changed. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) They did. He did win in Russia. Um, But yeah, so how was it growing up? Long lines in stores. Uh, The government gave you kind of everybody made the same, right? So the government made, gave you money for your living. They, I think they just gave you a place. You know, I was, it was before I was 10 years old. 
But I remember my mom giving me money and telling me to go down to the store and buy butter or bread or something. And you stand in lines for a very long time. Very hard to get clothes. My shoes were always a size too small. My feet always hurt. I remember that. Very cold, lots of snow. Yeah, man. And a lot of people, they did what they had to do, right? So like my wife, she grew up in Moscow, kind of similar story. Her grandfather happened to be in charge of like the place that provided meat for the whole Soviet Union. Hmm. And so they lived better because he could, you know, if you worked in a theater and you could get tickets, well, you would trade those tickets for meat. And if you, you know, if you had a certain skill, you would kind of barter with each other. And my mom, she was a piano teacher at a university. So people would bring their kids to her and they would barter with her like, hey, you teach my kid and I'll get your son jeans or, you know, hmm. just thinking about it now. It's like, holy crap. But <laughs> that was just the way of life. Um when you don't have much, you don't miss much, right? It's not like I could say I, I missed a whole lot. But towards the end, I remember Azerbaijan and Armenia, like within the last few weeks, uh, something flared up. I saw that. But there was always fighting going on. We had Russian tanks uh, right by my balcony. We kind of lived on the second floor. So I would look outside and there was tanks and soldiers and people fighting. And teachers, I remember, could hit you in school and nobody was going to do anything. Like it was a it was a different way to live. Yeah, completely different way to live. And then, you know, you're 10 years old and you migrate to the U.S. What was mm -hmm. what was life like kind of coming to the U.S. as, you know, you, you, you get here? I don't know if it was off the boat, but, you know, you get off you, you get off and then now you're in this completely different land, different world, different structure. What was that kind of like for you being introduced to the U.S. and then starting to kind of grow up in that? So you remember that old Michael Jackson video, like, Billy Jean, where he's walking on the streets and the streets lighting up. Uh huh. So that's kind of what I pictured U.S. to be like. Like you know, there's gold in the street and everybody's rich and you know happy and like that's that's that was the the picture of it. And back then, uh, the immigration process, we were refugees out of we were Jewish refugees out of uh, Russia. And so we didn't even know if we were going to end up in Israel or America. So most of my mm. family ended up in Israel. We ended up in the U.S. And the process was we had to live in Austria, Vienna for, I think, six to seven months while some paperwork went through. And then in just outside of Rome and Italy for another six to seven months. So there was a good maybe a year, nine months to a year from the time we left Russia till the time we got here. Leaving the airport, I still remember that. The guards at the airport, just to give you guys an idea, went through all of our bags, took out whatever they wanted, and said, you can either leave without this stuff or stay with it. What do you choose? Obviously, my parents left, lost most of the, their valuables right there at the airport, got robbed mm. by the government, <laughs> and uh, we rolled out. So my mom now had to get a job and do like just work retail and things like that in Austria and then in Italy. And then we ended up in Baltimore, Maryland. So um, mm. place I moved into, nobody looked like me. Nobody spoke my language. And, uh, you know, at 10 years old, I would get beat up like almost every other day and not even know why. <laughs> mm. So it was wow. a fun, fun way to grow up builds character, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely an interesting way to grow up. And and I, I even recall you at one point saying that uh, you had a really powerful mentor in your life, Bugs Bunny. That's who taught me how to speak English. Yeah, I used to greet people by saying, what's up, doc? 
<laughs> I think I've actually heard you say that a couple of times, hey. even just in passing here and there. But it's interesting just the influences that you've had in your life. And I'm I'm curious how how did those influences whether that was you know growing up on watching cartoons or you know watching your mom work and your parents you know really work and try to put things together what was that like growing up having those kind of people around you like was there identity that was placed in you at that time that kind of carried over into your adult years that kind of affected you or was that more of a place that man I, I feel like my child upbringing really helped me to get to where I am today. You know, I don't think my childhood, I think it built character. Like, I don't think I'm spoiled. I know what it's like to not have anything. I know what it's like to live. You know, we moved here with six of us, right? Me, my sister, two stepsisters, mom, stepdad. Um, we lived in a two bedroom apartment, the six of us, right? So the parents had their own room, the kids, literally four twin beds from the time you, as soon as you walk in, you're your legs are hitting the bed and all the way to the wall, it was just four beds lined up and I had the one by the window. So, and I always woke up early. So I would hop over my, my sisters and, and, you know, go watch Bugs Bunny. And we had food stamps and these awesome organizations who help people would bring food to us. Right. Cause there was no car. There was when we first got here. And I remember in Russia, there's, there was no such thing as like pasteurized or homogenized milk, right? You had to boil milk. You got milk from a cow, you had to boil it and then eat hot milk or drink hot milk. Yeah. <laughs> well, my mom didn't know that it was different here. So picture <laughs> picture getting delivered cornflakes. And I remember that it was brown bags with food. And one of the things we got was cornflakes like the white box with the rooster, not the tiger. You know what I mean? There was no <laughs> frosted sugars on it. And uh, she would boil milk because there was milk that came in. She would boil the milk and pour boiling milk on cornflakes. And so I, that was breakfast. And I was like, this sucks, man. Can I say that? Sorry. But that's what we ate, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. Kids said they ate cereal. So I guess that's what we're supposed to eat as Americans. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was pretty funny at a very young age. I went out and I got a job. I'm talking 10 years old, 11 years old. I went to a pizza shop and they would pay me $4 an hour or $5 an hour to run around apartment complexes and hang those door hangers with coupons. And that's all I did. And then they would feed me, they would give me 20 bucks and they would give me this big cheesesteak sub, right? That was pretty awesome. Uh, but they would drive a few of us immigrant kids around. We would just, and then I would, you know, come home and give it to my parents. I don't know, man. The childhood was exactly what it needed to be for me to be who I am today. I don't yeah. think I look at it, you know, there was no, I didn't have much adult supervision growing up because the parents had to go get multiple jobs to mm -hmm. maintain, you know, make some money. So there was no adult supervision. So I got in trouble quite a bit, got expelled in seventh grade, ninth grade, 10th grade. Like I was not not on the right track. I wish I could tell you I was this great student, but I wasn't. Uh, school mm. was not for me. I didn't like it. But I had sense enough that after high school, I knew college wasn't the thing for me to do. And I decided that I was going to join the Marine Corps. And I think that's where everything changed for me. Because then I got mm. a role, you know, there was male role models, there was training, there was discipline. I think that's where all of that came in. And that really changed the trajectory of where I was heading. Mm. So it was kind of the it was kind of the structure of going into the service that actually gave you that piece that you kind of needed in order to advance in that next direction. You think? You know, Nathan, I think 
God gives you exactly what you need exactly at the right time. Yeah. So that time it was, and eight years later, it was no longer that that wasn't what I needed anymore. So then it became sales and then it became something else, you know? So, but yeah, I think at that time, that was the perfect thing for me. You know, I think it's really funny because uh, I've, I've heard you say before uh, on, on a different podcast that uh, one of the things that drove you to joining the Marines, it wasn't like an <laughs> ulteriorist like thing. I'd be like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to serve my country and I want to do this. Um, you know, I actually, I'd love for you to share that. Like what, what caused you to join? Like, yeah. I, mean, I, I consider, I have a lot of friends that are in different branches of the military, but uh, I'm sure that you know this Marines are a different kind of insane. Like they, there is something that is inside of them that it just ticks a little differently. Yeah. They make us that way in, in Paris Island. Um, so I knew I was going to join the military. This is the story. 11th grade. I go into uh, the recruiter's office and first I walked into the army recruiters because I didn't know the Marines even existed. I just, you know, nobody in my family served here. I didn't know much about the military. I just knew army Navy. I didn't even know air force or Marines, nothing. So I walk into the army recruiters office and, um, he kind of looked like if you picture Peter Griffin, <laughs> you know, from family guy, that's what that guy looked like. And here I am a 17 year old kid. I judge people by the way they look It's just like, Hey, look, if you're short, fat and your shirt sticking out, and you got thick glasses and you're a warrior. That's not my, it doesn't match my image of what a warrior is. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, that's, I looked at him. He was just sloppy, man. I still remember what that guy looked like. I'm like, that's not for me. And to anybody in the army, trust me, I got a lot of army brothers, sisters, like, love you guys. That's just this one dude. That's what he looked like. Yeah. And that's how I made my decision not to join the <laughs> army. So. The Navy guy looked like his twin brother. The Air Force was not there. So I'm now I'm walking out and I am like, I have no other plan. Like there was, it was like, I was going to either join the army or what else is there? I know I don't want to go to college. At this point, I was working at a grocery store as a cashier, like, you know, high school job. So I, I'm walking out and I hear out of some corner, hey, what are you two chicken to come in here? <laughs> I was like, what the heck? So I walk over there, this dude sitting there, and I picture Johnny Bravo, okay? Just not as goofy. Like he's got, yeah, he's got the hair of Johnny Bravo. He's got muscles sticking out of his shirt. And behind him are pictures of him and his buddies on beaches, like holding these big guns, sitting on tanks. I'm like, where have you been all my life? So this was a Saturday morning. <laughs> Saturday morning, his name was, oh, and his sign, his name was Patrick, call sign Animal Griffin. So, <laughs> hey, if you're listening, you know this was out of Westminster, Maryland. And uh, so I, like, got a man crush right away. So this was Saturday morning. Monday comes, and he shows up at my school. And he's wearing his, he wasn't in full dress blues. He's wearing what we call deltas, which are the blue, blue trousers, brown you know, short sleeve shirt. He walked in and every girl I had a crush on, like just melted. They were, they talked about him that whole week. And this is 1997. Okay. So this is pre nine 11. Nobody, there was no wars going on. Maybe Kosovo was hitting off, but nothing crazy going on. It was pretty much peacetime. And so I saw how the girls reacted to him. And that's why I joined the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> I love that girls in tanks. That's, that's, 
yeah, girls, tanks, yeah, and guns. Means- like, and I love. It was funny because as you were talking about, you know, childhood growing up and looking out the window and seeing the tanks. I'm, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, that's really funny. I wonder if that was like what eventually drew you to that. And you're like, oh man, this is this is actually this is you know, I, I love what you said earlier about how God gives you opportunities. And I think we just have to be aware and open to those opportunities. We have to be looking for those opportunities. I think we have a lot of opportunities around us and most people don't take advantage of them because we're so self-focused and we're not actually focused on solving problems and, and really identifying how we could show up to help others. So you go into the military, you spend eight years serving as a Marine, which by the way, thank you for your service. Thank you. Um, you serve for eight years, you get out. Um, I know a lot of guys that, that get out and they just, they have no idea what they're doing in civilian life. Cause I mean, it's, it's yeah. completely different. You, you have one specific world in the military, you get out and now you're in civilian world and nothing is like what you thought it was. Right. Well, what was that transition like for you moving from military into the civilian world? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I was, I was blessed, man. My, my transition overall was pretty easy. Um, I got out because of my girlfriend at the time, wife now, right? Like now we've been together for 20 years. The last three and a half of my service, she was with me. Mm. And so I wanted to reenlist. I wanted to retire from the Marines. And um, I was going to reenlist for my third term. And Julia said, you know, um, you know, this isn't a lifestyle that I want. So I had to make a decision. Do I want to stay in the core or do I want to get out for the girl I love? And I got out. And so I uh, got out, got engaged. So for me, it was different because when I got out, I had a really nice support system. And mm-hmm. before I was getting out, I was a part of a very small unit. So I went to my commanding officer. I'm like, sir, what am I supposed to do? Like I've been in the Marines since I was, you know, right at, like day out of high school, high school ended like two days later, I'm in boot camp. I was like, uh, you know, what do I do in a civilian world? He looked at me. They called me K because of the long name. He's like, K, yeah. with all the that you've sold me through the years, you should get into sales. I'm like, I don't know what sales is, but okay. I think back then it was monster.com and I uploaded my resume and I got called from every Aflac, you know, place that ever existed to come in an interview. And I realized quickly that it was all commission only. And what people don't realize about the military is that they make you really dependent on the military Yeah. because whether you're sick, not sick, you have a place to eat, you have food to eat, you got a place to stay. And first and 15th, you're always getting a paycheck no matter what. Sick, not sick, working, not working, you're going to get a paycheck. And so I came high school to that. It's not a big paycheck, but it's a paycheck. And here I am, I got some rank, I was making okay money. So the the commission only my like that I couldn't even comprehend that. What do you mean I'm gonna come to work and not get paid until I do something? Like that's weird. Yeah. So I get a job selling copiers, and that came with um with a nice base. The base covered what I was making before, and then commission on everything else. And now I realized the power of sales and making some money. And I remember getting my very first commission check. It was like not the very first one, but first one after I, you know, a few months of set of sales and like the biggest one I've ever got at, at this point was like seven grand on top of my regular paycheck. And I'm like, You're rich, this is insane. $7,000. I've never seen a check that was just 7,000 bucks. This is 2006. And I'm like, wait, so if I sell this much, I can make this money. And I, I just made a 
vowed to myself that I would never not make $7,000 again. And then from there, it just went up, man. It's like, you know, it's like that dog getting a shark getting a taste of blood, you know, and just like, ah, I want, I want more and more and more. Started diving into sales, man. Got into Jeffrey Gittimer stuff, got into um, Dale Carnegie stuff, learning as much as I could, applying those things. And I quickly became the top rep out of 40 in that company. Then I wanted to try out medical device sales, got into that, didn't like it. Xerox recruited me. I became a sales manager for them. Just, you know, just went down the sales sales path. Got, it was a good career. I loved it. I mean, you're, it's interesting to hear your desire. You cultivated a desire to learn. Like, like growing up. That wasn't a, a big thing for you. Like like you said, you weren't good at school. It wasn't something that you really wanted to do. I like for myself growing up, like I, I read, I think I might have read the books that I had to be <laughs> reading in school. And I and I happened to pass uh, most of my classes, I'm pretty sure. And then after graduating, I you know, after you're graduating college, I don't think I ever picked up another book until someone handed me a book. It was a it was a John Maxwell book, Put Your Dreams to the Test. And, you know, I I was struggling to read through the book it's not that i couldn't read it's just it was it was hard at that time because up until that point i'd never put precedence on learning and so it's interesting to hear you talk about having a childhood where man i, I wasn't really focused on learning i didn't really understand it uh, you always had this entrepreneur mindset and then all of a sudden you're in a career that you realize man if i get really good at this thing that i already have some talents at I could really make this into a huge thing. It's it's funny because even earlier, if you guys, by the way, up until this point, you need to go back and re-listen to everything that's been said so far because there's so much gold that can be mined from what Eric has said so far. You know, you said something earlier on. You said you don't have much, um, and so you don't miss much. And then all of a sudden, you start getting a taste of things in your life, and you start realizing there's more to life. There's more to life. I can experience more to life. And not that life is solely about money, but money opens up your up opens up your options, right? Sure. And so I'm curious for yourself as you've progressed in your life to where you are now, where you're teaching teams to be better sales, uh, salesmen and saleswomen, you're you're helping so many businesses grow themselves. How did the tasting of more get you to really be more of who you wanted to be, right? Like there's something inside of you that was obviously illuminated through some of these processes. What were some of those things and how did you start to develop those? That's a really good question. So back in 2015, at this point, I was already doing really well, leading a sales team, like outside looking in, life was really, really good. Inside looking out, I was miserable. Mm. Like no matter... I, I had no direction, no purpose. I was what I now call a sad clown, right? Mm. So happy on the outside, very sad on the inside, meaning that I really didn't know where I was going and I didn't want to be where I was. But I knew there was something more, but I couldn't tell you what it was. It was like, um, you know, going to a job, sitting in traffic to go to a job that I hate, <laughs> hoping they don't fire me that day. And, and I believe many people live like that now. And so j right around that time, I get introduced to a woman who happens to be a life coach. And I didn't even know that was a thing. So we get together. I understand what she, what, what she did. And I end up hiring her. 
And the first thing we started doing was working on like, what's my, what are my goals? What is it that I want? What would make me happy? What's mm. my morning routine? Um, so we came up with a morning routine. We came up with some goals to hit. That's exactly how I ended up writing my book, started my company. She had such a profound impact on my life. And by the way, her name is Julie Riesler. Go check her out. She has a USDU podcast. I'll always give Julie credit. She's amazing. And we're still good friends. Um, she she had such an impact on my life that this is when I decided that I was going to go get certified, not as a life coach, but um, as a better leader. Like things were happening in my life. I was leading a team. I wasn't doing a great job at it. So that's where John Maxwell came in. Uh, I got certified through John Maxwell team to lead this team better. And then they had this guy, Paul Martinelli there, that's teaching you how to use what you're learning and turn that into a business. Yeah. And so listening to that enough, I saw a possibility for myself that I didn't, I never thought of before, like starting my own business. Like that wasn't on the horizon. So while I was, while I was working, I, um, you know, the concept with the John Maxwell team is mastermind groups offer a free mastermind group. So that's what I did back then. We can teach 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. I cold called 10 business owners in Baltimore and said, Hey, let me teach you guys for 10 weeks. We're going to go through this book. I guarantee you afterwards, you're going to be better leaders. Your company's going to do better. I didn't know anything, but I told them like, Hey, it's for free. It's helping me out. Let's see if this thing works. Right. Yeah. And by the time that, by the time that uh, mastermind group was done, four of them came up to me and said, what would it cost for you to come into my company and teach this in my company? Wow. And I was like, oh, I don't know, $3,000. Throw out some figure. <laughs> They're like, didn't even blink an eye. Yeah, come on in. And that's how I formed my company. Wow. So a few months into that, I go to my boss and I'm like, hey, Vince. I said, dude, I love you. I'll give you six months, but I found my purpose. I want to go start this training coaching company. And he said, well, what do I have to do to keep you? And this is the company where we went from uh, 4 million to 12 million, like three years. Wow. Um, he said, well, what do I have to do to keep you? I was like, well, you know, this is, this is what I want to go do. I don't know what you need to do to keep me. He said, well, give me 24 hours. 24 hours later, he comes up, gives me, writes a number on a piece of paper. He said, hey, if you stay, I'm going to give you a raise. And you'll earn pretty much gave me almost like a percentage of the company. Every dollar that comes in, you'll get X. Like he made me an offer I could not possibly refuse. And then he said, and you can start your company as long as our sales don't suffer. Wow. So like this is insane. So pretty much he funded me to go start my own company. And uh, we had a really good working relationship. And I grew my company, The Goal Guide, and I helped him grow his uh, pretty much till about a year and a half through COVID. You know, we worked together. Wow. There's so many people who have these dreams. They have like these thoughts that come into their head and they think, oh, this would be a really cool idea. And that thought just, it dissipates. They never, they never focus on it. They never give any more attention to it. They never throw, uh, not even money at it. They don't even throw mental energy at entertaining the idea. And I love this fact that, you know, with working with your first life coach, she tells you, first of all, you got to have some goals. And she actually walks you through that process of setting goals, but not, not only just setting the goals, then she starts to identify key factors that you need to be starting your day with. Let's get your day on the right path. Let's get you some set success to keep on moving you forward. And, and those are really key pieces that I think a lot of people are missing out on. Like 
I know you work with a lot of people in terms of setting goals and helping them reach the goals, obviously because the relentless goal achievers group that you have, but what do you normally tell someone that is struggling with goals that like they're trying to set goals, but they don't really know what they want. Kind of like where you were at where, I mean, it's funny you ask someone, you know, what do you, what do you want in life? And they'll throw out some random thing and you at, you like you dig a little bit more well why do you want that and you find out that they actually really don't want it they it was just kind of a their first thing that came to mind how do you get people to get past that first hurdle of what it is that they want because so many people really don't know what they want they got they got to figure something out man but there's there's a process that you go through to figure that out but that's a you and you deal see the mistake people make when they're setting goals is they they set goals based on what they think they can achieve. Mm. And if it's something outside of the realm of their norm, which it's going to be, right? Any goal worthwhile is going to be something you've never done before that's like big. First of all, they'll never outperform their self-image. So if they don't believe that they're the type of person that can achieve that goal, they'll never even set it. Second, they won't set the goal because there's a chance they'll fail at it. And it's easier not to set and not fail. So they're playing not to lose more than they're playing to win. So to them, not trying and not failing at it seems like a better idea. And, and by the way, Nathan, this is all subconscious. It's not like they thought about it, wrote it out on paper and was like, no, the better option is not to take action. It's yeah. so subconscious. They don't even know that this is happening. But what's happening in the, in the subconscious mind is they're looking at their goal. They're like, mm, that's a hard one. I don't who the hell am I to get that, right? Like, how am I going to make a million dollars? How am I going to make an impact if I start mm -hmm. a podcast? Like, it took me four years to start a podcast, right? Like, just because I had no idea how or who the hell am I and all these thoughts going through my head that prevented me from doing it. So instead of playing to win, knowing that there's a chance they'll fail, but still playing offense, they just don't play at all because mm. it's easier not to. And to them, it makes sense. And to them, their imagination runs wild and they believe lies that just aren't true, right? Lies like, oh, that will never work. Well, how the hell do you know? Yeah. You've never tried it, right? It's not like, so So what I teach them is to be an attorney. You got to be an attorney. You got to, you know, like, what's his name? Um, is it Carl Jung that said, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate? Yeah. Well, what does that mean? That means you got to you got to sit with you and understand what is running, what's what's unconsciously running your programming. Yeah. What do you believe? So when I work with people, I help them figure that out. And if they don't know and if your listeners don't know, just look at the results. Your results are a projection of your beliefs. That's all it is. So if you have no idea what your beliefs are, well, look at look at what your results are. That's what your beliefs are. Yeah. And so we help them figure that out first, bring that to the conscious. And then we, we take those thoughts to court and we become defense attorneys and we become prosecutors. And I want evidence for that. Oh, you can't do that. Show me evidence. Mm -hmm. Help me understand why I can't do that. And not enough people do that process. And it's a, it's a tough process. And then what we do is we take those, like, if you look at, uh, you know, planting and, you know, reaping and sowing, right? Or sowing and reaping. You got to, if you, for you to get an apple tree, what do you have to plant? Apple seeds. Apple seeds. Have you ever planted an apple seed and got a watermelon? No. No. So our thoughts, our thoughts create our reality. 
So in his book, As a Man Thinketh, James Allen says, good thoughts and actions can never produce bad results mm -hmm. and bad thoughts and actions can never produce good results. It's that, it, I mean, but you can miss it if you just read through it. Yeah. He doesn't say usually, he says never. I love the example of, of, of planting of, you know, you don't, you don't plant a seed expecting, you know, an apple seed and expect to get oranges, right? It, it just doesn't work that right. way. And it's so funny, even, you know, you've got kids, I've got kids. And one of the great things about kids, like understanding that concept for myself, when I'm, when I'm talking with my kids, when they've done something wrong, I'm looking at them, I'm saying, you know, uh, do you want good fruit or do you want bad fruit? What are you experiencing right now? Are you experiencing good fruit or bad fruit? And what are the actions that are associated to that good fruit and bad fruit, whatever it is, right? Because we're all producing fruit. Some of our gardens are completely desolate. And other people, we look at them and go, oh my gosh, like their gardens are absolutely amazing. And why is that? A lot of it really has to do with what you're talking about right now. It's, it's the thoughts, it's the things that we talk about. And one of the things that uh, maybe you guys haven't even caught this yet, but Eric is a skilled coach at identifying those self-limiting beliefs, the gremlins in our lives, those those voices that pop up that need to be challenged, that need to be addressed. Eric, I'm curious for you, when you were first getting into the sales industry, what were some of those self-limiting beliefs, the gremlins, uh, you know, the little demons that walk around in your mind? What were some of those voices that you heard back then that maybe, maybe they still are present today, but maybe the frequency is a little bit less. Maybe the volume is less because you've, learned how to work with those and, and how to, you know, deflect those and help those to work for you. What were some of those limiting beliefs that you first attributed to yourself that now you identify those as not necessarily past, but you've identified a greater power in, in another type of identity? Well, back then, if you looked at my income, you could sell, you could easily say that I believe that I could never make more than 150 K a year. Because for, you know, once I got rolling year after year after year, that seemed to be my number. I yeah. would start off really good and then taper off, right? So I yeah. know somewhere along the lines, that was probably one belief. The second was, because I don't have a college degree, CEOs with college degrees wouldn't take me seriously. Doctors probably wouldn't take me seriously. Um, so that probably prevented me from making certain cold calls or calls to people that, you know, I probably couldn't make calls to because I was in the military. I probably uh, couldn't sell to certain types of people. Like there was, there was a ton of, oh, a uh, big one for sales was, you know, I'm bothering people. I don't want a cold call because I'm going to bother them. Yeah. And then what happens? You don't make the call, right? <laughs> you have call reluctance. <laughs> or, so uh, yeah, just, I think that's, that's pretty typical. By the way, we created, well, my wife is my business partner, but we had a, um, workshop on goals. It was goals mastery workshop. It's completely free and it resides in our arsenal. The arsenal is, um, it, it's pretty much a site where I put tons of content in there. So I have podcast guests who've offered like, um, 90 minutes to 90 days of content. So if you're struggling with content creation, I've put in there a really cool PDF on how to sell to different personality style. And mm. in there also lives this goals mastery workshop. It's three parts. Part one and two are all like technical, like how do you set a goal physically? How do you set goals? Second part is how, what, what do you need to do to actually take the logical steps to achieving the goal? 
And the third part, and those are taught by my wife. And the third part, I teach exactly what we were just talking about with the Bob Proctor, with our belief system. How do we take those seeds out, plant new ones, the script to do that. Everything's in that. I'll give you the link for, for all your listeners who are struggling with goals. This will be a really good tool for you. It's completely free. And, um, you know, definitely check out the link somewhere in the comments, wherever Nathan puts it. Yeah, but it's it'll, it'll definitely be in the show notes so you guys can go go to it and check it out. Uh, you know, go to the show notes so you can check out what Eric's talking about because I love that you call it an arsenal because I think a lot of people need an arsenal right now. Uh, they need, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't just use one tool for everything. You need a number of different tools to help you advance in the direction of where you're going. It's not just, you know, it's kind of like building a house. I always think of, you know, you can't just use a hammer for everything. If you, if, if, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And Very I don't know cool. about you, but hanging drywall with a hammer, uh, not a, not, not a, a fun process, but yeah. I, I love what you say about, um, really having this arsenal. And I love the fact that you, you have these offerings. So for all of you guys listening, make sure you guys go and check that out. Um, we'll have the, we'll have the website and everything uh, up in the show notes. So you guys can go and check that out. You know, one of the, one of the things that I love about you is you are such an encouraging dad. Um, I love seeing you prop your, your son up, you know, Mikey, uh, he has these ideas of being an entrepreneur of doing these different things. And I, and it's, it's interesting because as a father and in, in seeing my kids, I go, man, I want to instill this entrepreneurial bug in you. I want you to see opportunities that you can create opportunities. I'm curious, how have you uh, intentionally cultivated an environment for your kids to see what entrepreneurship is so that they have a desire to pursue that? Yeah, I mean, I talked to him about what I have going on and my struggles and, you know, successes too. But one thing I'll share with you guys as we're talking about goals, and I'll get back to the kids because this is important. Goals goals are not a place to get to. It's mm. a place to come from. Mm. So I'm going to repeat that. It's not a place to get to. It's a place to come from. And so when you have a clear understanding of who it is that you want to be, like once you achieve all your goals, who is that? What are you wearing? How are you thinking? How do you act? You can start being that today. Mm. And so it's not so much about what I'm doing. It's about who I'm being. So I have a goal for the type of dad I want to be. Like I grew up without a father. I know what it's like to play sports and not have anybody show up to watch me. I know what it's like to have my friends who have dads go work out with them in a the gym. And I'm like, you know, I don't have anybody to do that. I never, ever want another kid, not just my kids. I don't want another boy to ever go through that because that's painful. I'm not a jealous guy. The only thing I usually found myself getting jealous of is when I saw a boy and his dad. Mm. And so to me, having the honor now to have two boys, it's like there's nothing greater than that. And so I have a very, very clear understanding of what I want my relationship to be with them when they have their kids, yeah. when they're growing, when they're grown up, when they're driving, when they're, you know, I know what that looks like. And so starting now, I can start living into that. I can start making my decisions through that lens. Mm -hmm. And when I'm not, like if my kid wants to go play soccer with me or wrestle or, you know, Mikey's 10, Max is 14. So Mikey still 
he's like, Daddy, we're gonna play WWE, and here, you know, he's got the championship belt, and we're going. And if I want to watch TV at that moment because I'm tired, I've already made up my mind about what kind of dad I want to be. So it's easy for me to say, it's easy for me to have that lens to live through and say, are you being your word? Your kid wants to play with you. Are you the dad that puts them first or you just say you're the dad that's going to put your kids first? So it's easy for me to turn off the TV no matter how tired I am and go be, you know, his punching bag for for an hour or however long it takes, right? Yeah. Because at the end of it, nothing more, you know, he he exudes appreciation. All he wants to do is lay with me and cuddle and hug. And that's what that's what we want as parents. I want to be what I'm being with him is a safety net mm. that no matter what kind of trouble he gets into, I've built enough trust with him that he can come to me and know that he's going to be fully okay because I'm there for him. Yeah. I don't care how old he is. So so I have to live into that with every chance I get. You know what I love about that is the picture uh, aspect of that, of creating the clear picture of who it is that you want to be. I think I think all of us know at some extent or some level who we are. You know, it's funny because even before we were talking uh, or before before the show started, uh, I was I was uh, talking with you, and I was I was thinking about man, like uh, there are there are times where man, I see my kids, I'm like, ooh, uh, I know where that I know where that quality that that trait came from, and I think so many times as adults with our kids, we we tend to look at our bad qualities, and we tend not to focus on the qualities that we're happy about that we're pursuing to teach our kids, you know, and I think that's a really powerful thing. You don't get. Um, what you don't want, you get what you focus on, you get what you want. And so if all you're focusing on is, man, I really hope that my kids don't turn out to be bad. I really hope that my kids actually listen one day or, you know, if, if you're, if you're creating that kind of thought environment around your kids, like it's, it's really fascinating to me, the, the types of books that I see parents read to their kids. Like there was a, there was a book. I remember it, my daughter was probably like two years old and I opened the book and it was, it was something like, uh, Angie's angry. And I like, I saw the book and I was like, absolutely not. And I went over to the trash and I threw it in the trash. And to most parents are like, what are you talking about? You need to teach your kids about, you know, being angry. And I'm like, no, I need to teach my children how to be in control of their emotions. Uh, I want to teach them to be happy and I want them to be joyful. And I focus on the things that I want my kids to have and to know versus the things I don't want them to have. And when it comes to this idea of self-image, I think a lot of people focus on the things that they don't want versus focusing on the things that they do want. Eric, I'm curious, because uh, self-image is a, is a huge topic of, of what you tackle in what you do every single day when you're working with a client. How important is self-image to someone? Like, why should someone work on that? Because I think sometimes when people hear the word self-image, they see like the fluffy, like, oh, that's a fluffy psychology thing, right? And that's just kind of, even guys, I think guys are uh, kind of bigger at that. Like, do we really have to talk about our feelings or those kinds of things? Um, but there is something to be said about having a clear understanding of your self-image, having it be strong. Why is that important? And how does someone get to having a strong self-image? Why is it important is because you'll never outperform what you deeply believe you are. Mm. 
Hmm. You can you can have a front all day long, and it's like in personal development where they talk about the thermostat versus a you know a thermometer, right? The thermometer measures what the temperature is; the thermostat sets it. And so, if if you believe that you are, you know, if deep down let's let's take weight because that's measurable. If deep down inside you've always been told that you're overweight, you feel like you're unattractive and you believe that that's who you are, what you'll notice is that no matter what diet you go on to, go, uh, try to follow, even if you lose the weight, before it's too late, you know, before too long, you'll gain the weight back. Mm. We see that with finances, no matter what, some the, the, the universe will sabotage whatever you have going on. You, you'll see peaks and valleys in your finances that always kind of end up being around the same as they always have been. Your debt will be the same. Your income will be the same. Your weight will be the same. Why is that? Is because you have a thermostat that's set in your subconscious mind. And anytime you try to get out of it with force, it'll bring it right back to that point. Mm. It might take some months, but it'll come back. So understanding that, let's not worry about what we're doing, right? People are worrying about who they're doing and they're not worrying about who they're being. Mm. And so the being is way more important. Now, the beautiful part is once we bring to the conscious, the unconscious, right? Understand who is it that we are up until this point, we can then throw that out and create a whole new being. Mm. And so what does that look like? Well, I have a problem with procrastination, which I'm sure many other people do as well, right? Yeah. And so I've created myself to be, I'll say something like, I am that I take immediate action on all aligned thoughts. That's who I am. That's who I've created myself to be. I take action on all aligned thoughts, immediate action. So what does that mean? Is if I'm trying to lose weight and it's 10 p.m. and I haven't been to the gym that day, and a little, you know, I'm sitting down, it's Monday night football and a little thought pops into my mind and it says, hey, you should get your fast to the gym. <laughs> if I'm being that I take action on all, all aligned thoughts, the first question is, Jim, is that an aligned thought? Yes, go. Mm -hmm. even, if, even if it's for 20 minutes, go. Because that's how you're going to create the new version of yourself. That's how you're going to create confidence. That's how you're going to create more proof that you are that person that you truly want to be. So first you you create it with word, right? That's all it takes for us to create it. And then you live into that creation. Mm. You have to be your word. So that's how that's how you do it. And that's why it's so important. You know, it's it's funny because it all comes down to a a decision to actually speak it, but then also making that decision prior to the event happening. I think mm, yes. a lot of people don't actually make the decision. You know, there's a there's a comedian, and uh, you know, he's he's not necessarily the uh, the um, PC or maybe child friendly comedian, but uh, Burt Kreischer, he has this whole bit about being the machine uh, and and robbing a, a Russian, uh, robbing a train uh, with a Russian mafia. And there's this point where he talks about, um, man, I, I I never in my mind did I ever make the statement, I will not rob a train. And so when it came to that point of making that decision, I didn't have a problem with just going along with it. <laughs> and I think a lot of people, they don't set the expectation of how they're going to respond in every single circumstance. 
whether that's, you know, I, I'm a man who um, is fully committed to my wife. And if something ever happens, I will immediately walk in the other direction because I love my wife too much to ever do something stupid like that. Or, you know, I, I take advantage of every opportunity that will bring me closer to the person that I was created to be. And going back to what you were saying of, is that an alignment with who I said I'm going to be? And if it That's is, right. then you go for that. And I love what you're saying is that you never outperform your own self-image, but most people have never taken time to figure out, well, what is that self-image? Like we, we, I think everyone at some point has done that, you know, the, I am this and I am that. And we, we look in the mirror and we do everything that we were told to do. And I actually, I remember one point uh, I was, I was doing this myself cause I'm one of those people. Uh, I was like, I'm going to do my affirmations. And I started doing affirmations mm -hmm. and I was overweight. I didn't feel good about myself. I looked myself in the mirror and I said, I am sexy. And I, and I, I kid you not. I remember looking in the mirror and I remember seeing myself laugh. Because there was a physical response that was not in alignment with this belief. I did not believe this, and it's yeah. funny because it, there was a point even when I was do, when I was starting to do videos, and I'd see myself on videos, and I'd hear myself talk, and I was like, "Man, I sound stupid. I sound funny. This, like, that's just no one's gonna like this." And so I would just laugh at it because it was a deflection mechanism for me. And then at one point, when I started to realize that I didn't believe it myself, I started to play with it. I started to fall in love with the idea of loving my voice, loving the way that I looked on camera. And I, it's funny because even to this day, my wife will catch me watching videos of me interviewing people or talking with people. And I just have this huge grin on my face. And I'm just like, and she's like, what is wrong with you? Like, it's just you. Like, <laughs> why are you smiling? And it's because I've fallen in love with my voice. And I think so many people kind of have this self image that they don't love, but they've never actually taken the time to rewrite what that image could be and what that image should be. Uh, I absolutely love our conversation, brother. Like it, it is, it's just been so good. It's been enriching. I know that so many people right now are walking away from our time with such tremendous value. And so I, I want to encourage all of you guys go check out uh, Eric's podcast, the relentless goal achievers podcast. Absolutely phenomenal. You're going to gain some absolutely great wisdom from him, but not only that, go and go and check out his website. Uh, you'll see that in the show notes here. Uh, but I do want to ask you one more, one more question here, Eric, because I think that we are in such a perilous time right now where so many people are lost. So many people don't really know who they are. And everyone is questioning and everyone's trying to figure out like, who are we? What should we be doing? And, and, and how do we, how do we show up in this world? And we've talked a lot about identity, but if there was one thing that you could give to someone who is really wrestling with this, this, this question of value, this question of why do I exist? Am I important? What should I even be doing with my life? What, what would you say to that person as an encouragement to continue going and to continue to search who they were created to be? Yeah. Spend time with yourself, right? Go out in nature, journal, ask that question. You know, I have my journal that's always here and, um, you are a spiritual being. So you're connected to the source mm. always 
but we forget that, right? We always worry about what should I be doing? What should I be doing? <laughs> sometimes, like Les Brown said, you know, if you want an arrow to go far, you got to pull it back. So mm. sometimes just pausing and being still, you'll get all the answers you need. You got to do that, though. I mean, most people, what they do is they wake up, you know, 7 in the morning, alarm clock goes off, and they already have to be somewhere. And, you know, in one hour at eight o'clock, 8 30, they get up, they're rushing, they're stressed the hell out. When do you have time for you? Like, do you really want to change? Do you really want something better? Or do you just say you do, right? And and the thing about it is that if you don't believe it's possible for you, you'll never even try it. Mm. So if you're not happy with where you are, it's time to kind of take inventory, take a step back. It's not. This is not the time to put more stuff on your plate when you're already unhappy and unsatisfied. To figure, oh, maybe something. No, no, no. This is time for prayer, meditation, journaling, nature. Go for a walk. Get up an hour earlier. I mean, I when I was writing my book, I was getting up at 5 a.m. Now I get up at 3.15. 3.15 in the morning. Why? Because I found how important that is to have that time with me. Mm. That's my time to meditate, my time to think, my time to journal, my time to figure out what the hell am I doing today and next week and this week? And what am I working towards and think through my goals and see what's pulling me. And by the time I get home from my workouts and it's 7 a.m. and my family's there, do you know the kind of guy they get? Not a stressed out one. One that's that's taking care of himself first. And now I can give because I'm mm. my cup is full. Mm. So look, I, I think you got to understand that some of you are listening. You're like, yeah, 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 that's you, but that won't work for me. And I'm going to call BS on that. Everything you want is possible for you. That's on the back. That's on the back of my shirt. And, um, you know, join a coaching group. You know, Nathan's an amazing coach. I have a group called Relentless Goal Achievers. That's a group that I, that I coach with. We have three calls every single week. Put yourself in an environment where you can grow. Know that it's possible for you. That's that's where I would start because I was that guy. Mm. I was, and it's always what what else should I be doing? What else should I be doing? Well, when you're coming from that place, what you're saying is you're not doing enough. Yep. And what if you just believe that you're right where you're supposed to be? You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Everything's perfect. You got to this point. Now let's see where you want to go. Mm. It, it's so important for us to understand that it's less about the doing and it's more about the being of, of who we were created to be and existing in who you were created to be, right? It, believing that you are enough to be able to overcome some of the circumstances that are in your life. It, it really is important to realize that you can move forward. It, it's funny because as you were talking, it reminded me of the James Allen quote, uh, Men are anxious to change their circumstances, yet are unwilling to change their mind. Therefore, they remain bound. And mm -hmm. so many people remain bound by the restrictions in their mind. And one of the things that we can do, which Eric just said so perfectly, is that you can join a group. Join a group with a coach that's going to be able to guide you and to help you think. I, most people don't actually think today. And that's why I love Eric. Like, I know that all of you listening today are absolutely loving what you're loving what he's saying because it, there's so much truth to it. We have to define who it is that we want to be. We have to define our goals. We have to move towards the pursuit of those things, but not lose sight on what is most important, which is that identity piece, that self-image piece. Are we living in alignment with who we were created to be? 
Man, brother, I appreciate you so much for jumping on and spending some time with all of us. For those of you that are out there, we'll see you next time. And remember to be more, see more, and experience more than before.